Hi, I'm Susan Solovic. I'm the author of The 1% Edge, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Does it seem like big changes to your small business is an agenda item that often gets put on the back burner? Many small business owners feel the same way. And in this interview with Susan Solovic, author of The 1% Edge, she talks about how these small changes can indeed make a big difference in your business. And it's important to embrace this philosophy, as you'll hear in the interview, because over time, these small changes accumulate, grow, and completely can change the direction that your business is heading in for the positive. I'm so glad you're here to join me on my quest for the best. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Susan Solovic. Susan is an experienced entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, media personality, keynote speaker, and attorney. Her new book, The 1% Edge, Small Changes That Guarantee Relevance and Build Sustainable Success. Susan is the host of The 1% Edge, a podcast, and is based in Jupiter, Florida. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a delight. Could you fill in a gap or two in that introduction and share with us a, a personal detail to help to get us, let us get to know you better? I have been an entrepreneur since I was like 15 years old. <laughs> I grew up in a very, very, very small town in rural Missouri, and my parents had a funeral home. And I, I worked in the funeral home uh, from the time I was like a, a in grade school, whatever. But, you know, you get to be a teenager, and it's really not cool to be working in a funeral hall, right? <laughs> I started working waiting tables at a steakhouse, a little steakhouse that we had in the neighborhood. And I came home one night, and my feet had blisters on them. You know, I pulled out the tips out of my pocket because we had a little vest that we wore. And I said to my mom, there has to be a better way to make money. And that's when I started thinking about entrepreneurial ways to make money. And ever since then, even though I've also worked in the corporate world and I've been in broadcasting and that sort of thing, but my heart has always been in entrepreneurship. It was, it's like I always tell people, if you really want to build wealth in your life, you become an entrepreneur. And it was as much freedom as wealth that made you pursue that tact. Was that how you pursued your career since being an adult? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has been freedom. I started out, well, I, I, I majored in college as a political science and history major, which, you know, back then when I graduated, that was worth nothing. <laughs> I ended up getting a job as a receptionist at a school called the Broadcast Center, and it taught technical journalism back then how to run a board in a radio station, splice tape, that sort of thing. The instructors were all professional journalists, and they said, hey, we think you should be on TV. So they worked with me. I got the first job I ever auditioned for. I enjoyed it, and then I went from there to what was then Southwestern Bell, which was a division of AT&T back then, and they hired me to run um, their internal TV program. So I was the on-air personality, I produced, you know, all that sort of thing. And I was there about three years, and all of a sudden, I was looking around, and I, I looked at the people around me, and I knew what, you know, I grew up with. My mom was an entrepreneur. Her first husband died in World War II, and she became an entrepreneur. 
And so I kind of grew up with that bug. And I said, you know what? If these people weren't working here, if they didn't have the safety belt of this big company, they wouldn't be anything. And I just said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and that, that's kind of how I got started. I mean, it, it was, and it was the freedom. And it was like, I'm doing something on my own. I may not be the most successful person in the world, but by golly, I'm doing it on my own. And like so many entrepreneurs, Susan, you also relate to the sense of being in control of your own destiny. One of my favorite definitions of an entrepreneur is someone who would rather work 80 hours a week for themselves than 40 hours a week for a boss. That's absolutely true. And I I truly believe it. I'm going to repeat myself a little bit here, but I always think that it is a safety blanket. And, you know, if you have the guts to go out there and do it on your own, go out there and do it on your own. I want to go back to what gave you the courage to leave your AT&T corporate job? Because I know a lot of people listening to this are saying to themselves, I'm in that position. I want more freedom. I want the potential of maybe earning more money and doing well so I don't have to worry about that. What is it that allowed you to take that step back then? You know, I think, Bill, it actually ends up to be the point where you realize that, okay, if if you take a step and it doesn't work out, as long as nobody dies, it's not the end of the world. You take this step and you say, I'm going to give this a try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If you don't try it, you never know. And do you find like that decision to try things and be bold and adventurous is actually sort of an emotional muscle where the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets? You know, I never thought about it like that. But I think, you know, we all have fear, right? We all have fear when you go out and strike out and do something new. But I think that over time, you figure out, and, and let, me, let me give you an example, okay? I told you I was started out in broadcasting. I left this job as a receptionist at the school called the Broadcast Center. And I went up to interview for an on-air position as an anchor and a reporter in Quincy, Illinois. The news director said, do you know how to stack a newscast? And I said, sure. Do you know how to produce a package? I'm like, of course I do. I had no clue. I didn't even know what he was saying to me. But I figured I was smart enough to figure it out. And I think that's the courage that you have to have. You have to recognize that, you know, we all have core competencies. And you say, yep, I'm smart enough. I can do this. I'm going to get it done. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I've always been that way. And so when we know what our core competencies are and we add to it, that belief and commitment that we'll get the job done, and if we don't know how to do it, we'll figure it out, that really allows us the ability to take risks. That really allowed you to be able to take on responsibilities you might not have been ready for if you had been more timid or just accepting of what they were telling you, but instead you chose to take your destiny in your own hands and be proactive and bold about it. You know, we're all smart, and we get opportunities because we're smart, and you just go for them. You seize those opportunities. You've done a lot of things that many people dream of doing, You started an Internet company. Tell me how that got started. I actually was doing uh, some consulting work and writing books and speaking, and a friend of mine had a company called SBTV, Small Business Television. And back then, I don't know if you remember, but you had to know what your modem speed was if you wanted to watch um, video. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't have a 1,400 baud. You had to have at least 2,800, right? Yeah. And it was it was ridiculous. Anyway, so I had I had left a big, huge contract uh, with a company that I was working for, and I, because I didn't like the the principles and their values, so I left it. And she wanted to get out of this 
this business that she had, and she really hadn't done anything with it. So I said, I can buy the domain name. So we negotiated. I bought the domain name, but I, Bill, I knew nothing about technology, nothing. So I found a young man who absolutely was a genius when it comes to technology. He had done work for Disney and Apple, and and so we created together with my uh, journalism background and his ability to do the Internet work, um, of the first streaming site that you could just click on it, and as soon as you clicked on the website, you got video. It was like watching television on the web. We got written up as a hot, you know, top 100 hot tech sites and everything. It was, it was, it was really cool. We so were you were a precursor tech. to YouTube, weren't you? Exactly, yeah. What was so the name of the name? SBTV.com, smallbusinesstelevision.com. We were pioneers. It was, it was a great journey. And everyone listening is now taking note in realizing that you can take risks like this. For a small risk of buying a domain name with a catchy and memorable URL, Susan, you were able to build a business around that by partnering with the right people, looking for opportunities, taking small risks, and building upon them. And, Bill, I will say this much. You use a key word here, partnering. We didn't have a huge amount of money. I mean, we did raise some venture capital, but we didn't have a huge amount of money to market or anything. The biggest thing that we did to build the business was getting collaboration with organizations, that small business groups, um, et cetera. That's what we did. We, we really reached out and networked. And to me, networking is the biggest key to building a business brand that there is, whether it's out in cyberspace or it's face-to-face. I mean, that's a, that's a big key. And what do most people miss or misunderstand about networking that you find to be so valuable? So my thing about networking is, and I taught a, a class on entrepreneurship in col- a college-level class, and we did like a workshop on a Saturday morning about networking. And I sent them out. And women would come in or, or classmates would come in Well, nothing happened. And I said, what do you mean nothing happened? Well, I didn't sell anything. And I said, it's not about selling. It's about building that trust and that rapport. And I think that's what people get. Even with social media, they don't get that it's not about putting something out there that you're going to sell something. It's about building the trust and the rapport, people feeling like they get to know you. Because we all do business with people we like and trust. And I'll have to say, I was speaking in Washington, D.C. a while back. I was an early adapter on social media and Twitter and all that. And so I got to this event, and it was a breakfast thing. And I got there, and I'm getting my coffee. And this lady comes up to me, and she said, So, Susan, how are your dogs? Because I have wonderful dogs. And how's the book, and how's this, and how's that? And finally, I looked at her and I said, I, said, I apologize, ma'am. I, I can't put a name with a face here. I, I haven't had my first cup of coffee. And she said, oh, sweetie, you don't know me. I just follow you on Twitter. <laughs> but that was the kind of connection that she felt that she had with me because we had connected on social media. So, you know, that's, that's what you do with networking. You make those relationships. You keep those connections. And now we can do it in cyberspace. And another important point from that is that you can build trust with people by remembering details. She was able to build trust and make you interested in her 
because she knew details of your life showing that you mattered enough to her to remember these things, you were naturally inclined to reciprocate at that point. It is. It is about, it's not just about me, it's about both of us. And I, you know, I had an ad, my own little PR and ad agency years ago, and I always tell people when I speak to them, I say, back then, the only way we had to reach our customers or our clients was to put something out there like via PR, hope we got a print or radio or whatever, TV, or we bought advertisement. But it was always about the message going out to them. Now it's about the message going on a two-way street. And that's really how you build a brand is when people feel like that you're authentic, that they know you, that's huge. And in my book, I talk a lot about that, about how important it is to build that edge about building that connection between you and your customers and clients because that's how you hear what they're thinking, what they want, what what's the missing void in the marketplace. You know, you're going to hear it because you're connected to them. So that's a great transition because I've read your book. I think it's full of terrific ideas. And oh, the idea, thank you. <laughs> why receive a book if you're not going to read it, or buy a book if you're not going to read it? I love reading books, and I found yours to be very engaging, full of great tips as well as stories and examples that make it very easy to follow along. One of the things I'd love for you to talk about is when people are thinking of having a a PR campaign or looking to validate some marketing assumptions, how is it that you recommend that people go forward and make those connections in the age of of digital tools and online media? How is it that you recommend that they do that in order to gain that 1% edge that you talk about? We hear a lot about big data today. So smaller companies think when they hear big data, they think, oh, my gosh, that's General Motors or that's, you know, some big company. But we have so much access to data, whether it's our website analytics, whether it's our social media analytics, whatever it is. We can begin to see what's resonating with our customers and our client base. We can access discussion groups and forums and online review sites and see what people are saying. So we have so much more access to the data to listen to what's happening in the market with our customers and clients than we had, let's say, even five years ago. And it gives us such a leg up, basically, that's incredible, that gives us an opportunity to say, okay, I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm, I'm moving I'm, I'm innovating. I'm going in the direction that you want me to go. It, it, it's a huge, huge opportunity. Susan, can you give a specific example of some of the, the metrics and data that you look into to help you guide and inform your decisions as a business owner? So I write a blog every business day, and then we put it out on, you know, on all our social media platforms. So then we look at what's the response that we get. Is this something that's helpful or not? So if it's helpful, great. We're going to write another blog that is along the same lines. If it's not, you know what? We're going to go in a different way. So that's one thing. With, you know, Twitter, you know, I, I actually follow what are people responding to. I want to be authentic. I mean, obviously, I have people who do some of my tweets for me, but I also check them, and I want to respond. I want them to know that they've connected with me. And I watch what's working, what's not working. Also, the analytics on the website, that's huge. We watch that on a regular basis. What are people You look at Google Analytics. Yeah, Google Analytics, absolutely. 
Yeah, what are they looking at? What what pages are are resonating with them? I bet you there are people listening to this right now who are saying, I, I really am curious as to how to get more people to come to my site. Sure. When you were in a situation where you weren't getting the traffic you wanted, what and you look back now, what would be one turning point that you could describe for us that helped you go from one level of traffic up to a much higher level? So, Bill, one time I reached out to the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council, which I then eventually became an advocate for, but they actually, they're a nonpartisan advocacy group for small business, and they started promoting my blog, my my efforts. I did likewise for them, so it was reciprocal. And, you know, eventually they have like 110,000 members, so... Eventually, you know, I could see that my traffic was coming up. I think that every business should look for those kinds of opportunities. What, how do you collaborate? How do you reciprocate with another business or opportunity? That's a fantastic point. Everyone listening to this ought to be thinking, what is one, two, or three organizations that you could add value to through your commentary, through your videos, through your blog posts, that you could offer that to them so that they would cross-promote it to their members and you're happy to be reciprocal with them and now you're building a collaborative relationship the way that Susan has. Susan, your book is more than about tips. It's about helping you fulfill a mission. Would you share with me now what what is the mission of the 1% Edge and actually define what that means to you to have that 1% Edge that helps you the small changes that guarantee relevance and build sustainable success? Tell me what that means in your own words. A lot of people, when I talk about the 1% edge, they say, well, I want to do more than a 1% increase in my business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course we all do, right? But it's not about that. It is about a process that I have put together. It's a six-step process. It is really about looking at your business on a regular basis, looking at everything from not just your product and service, but how you're delivering your product and service, looking at your people, looking at your processes, um, looking at your financial data. You know, we all have a tendency to look at our historical financial data and make decisions. Well, guess what? In today's world, <laughs> you don't want to do that anymore because it's, it's, it's old used by the time you get your financial data. So it really is about making those decisions in real time and continually to evolve in all aspects of your business. So that's really my mission is to say, you know, you don't have to be the next Uber that takes over the taxi industry, but you have to be constantly evolving in your business in order to stay ahead of the game. That's right. In today's day and age, there's no time to fall behind, yet it becomes such a a busy circus for businesses so often, especially many of the mid-sized companies that I have the opportunity to meet with, and I'm sure you're talking with day in and day out as well. What are some of the obstacles that they encounter that prevent them from taking this really important view into reviewing their their performance to help them improve? I can't take credit for this, Bill, but the gentleman who founded Quicken Loans, he has a saying, can't be on the status quo, you've got to be on the status quo. You know, it really is about that we get into a mode of operation and it's working and we think, well, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But in today's world, if it ain't broke, you need to be fixing it anyway. <laughs> it's going to be broke tomorrow. But we get married to our product. 
We get married to our business operations. Too many of us, like one of my steps in the process is cut the dead weight, and it is about the people that you have employed. A lot of us who are growing our organizations, we've got people who started out with us, and we think a warm body in a chair is better than nothing at all. Well, that's not true. You want the right people. And so it's, it's a very, it's tough. I mean, it's, it, those are tough decisions to make. But they're critical decisions to make if you're going to continue to move forward. So um, that's, those are some of the mistakes. Married to your product and service, married to your operations, married to your team, and then spending too much time looking at your financials from a historical perspective. You're looking out the rearview mirror instead of going forward. That is a lot to look at, yet <laughs> you make it very easy in the book to say step-by-step, step, here are yeah. questions to ask to help you with this review. Yes, and you've got to be willing to ask the questions. And I always say, I actually, in one of my uh, presentations I do when I do speaking, I have a cow with a circle over its head. Like, you can't have any sacred cows. <laughs> you've got to park your ego at the doorstep. So. Do you find that merely telling people to not have sacred cows is enough, or do you remember a time when they were reluctant to make a hard decision, and you were able to help them make it by coaching them through it by assisting them to see different perspectives people have to be willing to to open up and so there have been times when i talk to business owners and i do ask the tough questions and they don't want to answer me because i can tell that by their their answers that well you know they give me excuses or well it's always worked this way or it hasn't worked that way if you're not willing to open up i can't help you but if you're willing to open up then You've got to be open. You've got to be transparent. You've got to talk to your team if you have a team and find out what they're seeing, what they're thinking. Empower them. Give them a safe harbor to say what they think that they need to say. That's all critical in, in terms of getting to the bottom line of what needs to go forward. So if you're listening to this now, just do a quick gut check. Are you really willing to open up? Are you willing to be transparent with yourself, with the people who report to you? with the rest of your organization, because they know, every one of your people know whether you're transparent or not. And the more that you can be transparent, the more that they'll be willing to change because they see that you've taken the first step. Would you agree with that, Susan? Absolutely, Bill. I, it, it starts with the leadership, and actually that's one of the chapters in the book. It's the leadership edge, and that is change your attitude, change your results. And you have to be willing to, as the leader of an organization, to open up and say, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't have them. And, and none of us do in this day and age. We can't possibly. And the more diversity that we have in our organization, the more that we're willing to listen and open up to ideas and thoughts, doesn't mean that it's always right. You know, I would say there's no such thing as a dumb idea. That's how you grow. You can't be the it's my way or the highway dictator. It just doesn't work. Susan, how long did it take you to write The 1% Edge? It took about a year. In that time, what was something that surprised you in your research, in your writing, that turned out differently than you were expecting from when you began? I don't know. I mean, I always had this gut instinct that there was something built into the infrastructure of organizations that were causing. I mean, we, we've seen so many brands go out of business. And I always knew there was something internally that was going on. So I loved doing the research. 
I love talking to people. I love reading articles and things like that. Other than the fact that sometimes the writing was on the wall and people just don't see it. When they finally wake up and say, oh, whoops, we're in trouble, then it's like the Keystone cops, right? They're running around, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you know, we got to do something, we got to do something. And the research that I found, only 10% of organizations that find themselves in that situation where they're backed up against the wall ever manage to pull through. So that's why it's so important. Yeah, you don't want to get yourself in that situation, and that's why it's so critical that companies of all sizes really right now recognize the need to constantly be reviewing what they're doing and innovating and, you know, evolving to meet the market needs. You interviewed a lot of business leaders as part of your book, didn't you? I did, yes. What surprised you in terms of being able to gain access to some of the people you spoke with? I think that people recognize today that there there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about here. Uh, and I think everybody realizes that they have a challenge. People are being a little bit more forthcoming in terms of, okay, let's have a discussion about this. The fact that they're willing to talk about it is a good step in terms of what they're doing. Who is one person who you really look back on and we're just delighted to have that conversation? I talked to some people from AT&T. And, uh-huh. you know, there's an organization that has really gone through some transformation, but Honestly, I have to say the best organization that I talked to was the National Court Reporters Association because here's an association or a group of businesses that technology is almost wiping out that entire industry. So what do they do? They're all trying to reinvent themselves. It was interesting to talk to some of the leaders of that organization about what they're trying to do to reinvent how they're trying to reinvent the way to deliver services. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it was, that was fascinating because I think it was the most pertinent or the most timely industry that I talked to that is really going through a huge transformation and they're trying to figure it out. Well, Susan, you've been terrifically generous with sharing your ideas with us here today. You've talked about your early beginnings in a broadcast center and how you learned to have the courage to just try it. Where can people find out more about you and your work, Susan? I'm actually at SusanSolovic.com, and Solovic is spelled like Solovic, S-O-L-O-V-I-C. I'm on Facebook, same name, Twitter. I'm out there. so And I'm really pretty good about answering emails, so if you want to contact me with a question or anything, you're welcome to do that. And Bill, I'd love to have you on my podcast, too, which is the 1% Edge podcast. So hopefully we can get you connected and and you'll be a guest for me. I would love that. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests And I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together. And I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.